You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I want to follow up on that uh, comment Greg just made of the quote there on WTI crude oil, you know, $100.60 a barrel. Seems pretty sticky right about there. And you know, you think about global energy, um, and it's, it's you know, many people have called it a crisis situation in Europe in particular. Uh, we want to get some color on that. We're going to check in with Jonathan Maxwell, CEO and co-founder of Sustainable Development Capital uh, LLP. Uh, Sustainable Development Capital operates as an investment banking firm for energy efficient project finance. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us here. You know, you're based in the UK, I believe, and I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts of just kind of the overview of kind of the energy issues, the energy security issues, the energy crisis type of issues uh, that Europe is facing now and potentially into the winter. So thank you for having me on. I mean, the the Russian invasion of Ukraine has sparked, um, well, reignited, I should say, an energy crisis in Europe. We'd had a very steep rise in energy prices in 2021, um, low levels of storage, low wind uh, production. Um, so, you know, already difficult market um, background, but coming into this year with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, curtailed supplies of gas coming into Europe. The, the uh, word that I heard applied to it, which I liked, was gas catastrophe. Um, so, you know, that is the problem, uh, the supply of gas from Russia uh, via Ukraine, because that's 40 percent-ish of the whole uh, European gas supply at stake. In fact, higher earlier in the year from Germany, 55 percent. So, you know, that's a huge problem for Europe and um, has created a, um, a crisis, not just in terms of pricing and, and, and supply, but also trying to find solutions to that problem. You know, how, how do you replace the natural gas? How do you actually provide generation and what can be the solutions in the short, medium, long term? Well, in every crisis, there's an opportunity, right? I don't know who said that, but um, <laughs> what what is the opportunity here? I mean, is it for just diversifying their um, resources, you know, diverse, diversifying their energy providers, or is it for diversifying the kind of energy that, that Europeans use? So... You know, as with any solution, it's, it's going to be a number of a number of solutions to the problem. Um, 
you know, the, the biggest one, the, 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 the real fact of life is that 80% of Europe, like North America, 80% of Europe's energy is all gas and coal. So taking a significant cut on gas means it's got to be replaced from somewhere. So there are alternative diversifying sources of natural gas supply. In the meantime, sadly for decarbonisation, Europe has lent back on its coal generation. So Germany, Ireland, even the UK um, have got uh, coal is up 7%, says the IEA, European coal demand in Europe, driving global demand up to peaks not seen since 2013. So diversifying fossil fuel. The, the opportunity is to try and uh, replace those types of um, that type of generation with cleaner forms of generation. Um, the, uh, trying to replace that with renewables has its own challenges on supply chain resources and time. You know, it takes three, five years to build solar and wind onshore. It can take 10 to 15 years to build offshore wind and nuclear. So, you know, how you solve the problem in the short run, actually, I think is a massive opportunity because while we're spending so much time asking how to replace Russian gas, I actually, in 2014, the European Commission said if every unit of natural gas that we don't buy from Russia, they said, is 2.6 units that we don't have to, sorry, if every unit of gas that we don't use is 2.6 units we don't have to buy from Russia, why? Uh, it's because we're wasting most of the energy in the energy system. There's an enormous amount of inefficiency. Um, in Europe, about two-thirds of energy is wasted somewhere between the generation, transmission and distribution process. Wow. So the opportunity extraordinary. It's about 70% in the US, by the way. Um, so the opportunity, which is extraordinary, is to invest in solutions that reduce energy use um, and reduce energy demand. So, you know, what you've seen is a massive response in Europe. They had a policy last year, uh, which I think, frankly, they were mumbling, but at least it was a policy saying energy efficiency first, not second or third, but energy efficiency first. But it's now critical. There yeah. is no solution to the problem other than being more efficient. So they've now uh, introduced a policy to reduce gas consumption by 15%. Are, are there companies that are focused on increasing energy efficiency, big names, big projects that we should know? There are, there are uh, very, very large uh, projects um, uh, being uh, done um, you know, uh, in, in aggregate. Individual projects are smaller, 10, 50, um, 100 megawatts, read $100 million projects. So on-site solar, on-site uh, generation, even using natural gas, but where you can capture the heat, cogeneration it's called. So cogeneration, solar, storage, ground and air source heat, geothermal. So there is a very large marketplace. In fact, the International Renewable Energy Agency globally says that that market is worth about $10 trillion compared to, uh, say, 3 to $5 trillion for the renewable energy market. So recognizing that so much energy is wasted in the global energy system, the IEA, the International Renewable Energy Agency, and a growing number of utilities and specialist companies are targeting the energy efficiency and distributed generation space because that is the way of delivering lower cost, lower carbon, more reliable energy into the market. All right, Jonathan, thank you so much for that update. We appreciate it. I learned something new there about the energy inefficiency and how much energy uh, is lost or wasted between you know, getting out of the ground and getting into the, the home. Jonathan Maxwell, CEO and co-founder of Sustainable Development Capital. Again, it's an, it operates as an investment banking firm for energy efficient project uh, finance. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. 
they're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Afin Devitt, I'm not sure why he's still doing this stuff, but he's the chief investment officer of Manetta Group. Uh, Afin Shi, thank you. 27 billion assets under management, ranked in the top 10 by Barron's uh, among independent registered investment advisors. So some real, real money uh, under management. Uh, Afin, thank you so much for joining us here. What do you make of this, I guess, rally in the stock market over the last several weeks? Are you buying into it, or is it just a little bit of a a head fake and we still need to be cautious. How do you think about that? It's really interesting. I mean, the, the market does look now like it has something to prove. We're heading towards the best month since the end of 2020. It comes off the back of a really awful start to the year. If you look at the S&P when the worst starts to the year for the first half in 100 years. So clearly we're coming off the bottom. There has been cash on the sidelines for some time. We've seen the assets and money market funds rise. So clearly there is still a sense that there is really no alternative to being exposed to equities at this time. So that's the momentum I'm seeing. As to whether it's a head fake or not, I actually think it has some legs, this rally, because if we look at some of the indicators, the consumer has very low levels of debt today. We're seeing ultimately at a company level, we don't see many defaults coming. So even though margins are going to get tighter and we're going to see some pressure in terms of pricing power and an ability to pass through some of those prices. There are a lot of quite positive indicators of underlying some of this negative momentum or the headline around recession. And even when it comes to inflation, yes, these two inflation indicators today were positive. It comes off the back of our historic high for June. We still have to remember that this is still a follow-on of some of the constraints that we've seen come out of COVID. The supply chain restrictions are still in there. There's a little bit of demand destruction happening around yeah. the higher prices. You see that with oil. So overall, I'm pretty sanguine. I'm reasonably optimistic that this market has some legs. Do you not expect the Fed to just keep on hiking and hiking? I mean, three and a half, four percent, five percent. Is that, you think, just not going to happen, especially if inflation comes down and the uh, growth softens? Well, growth softens. Let's face it. Uh, we're in a, We're in contraction period, right? Exactly. Well, certainly the Fed seems to, maybe it's a confirmation bias at play, but it seems to think that already its actions have had some effect. It took, it's looking at the weakening markets. And, and Elon Musk those, agrees. He says uh, more of their prices have come down than gone up recently. Exactly. So there's an indication. And remember, Kathy Wood out of the ARC has had for some time, she's talked about the deflationary impulses in markets, which yep. are, are offsetting the inflationary impulses. And those deflationary impulses were why we had no inflation for so long. So many of those deflationary impulses have not gone away, with the exception of labor. Clearly, we saw that labor indication today. That's starting to turn around. But remember, labor having some pricing power is a sign that labor is strong. And if the employment picture is strong, will that be the 
the buffer that prevents the economy from slipping into recession? Maybe. Ethan, we're kind of just in the middle here of this earning cycle here. Uh, big tech week uh, this week, and we had some really good numbers out of Amazon last night, some pretty good numbers out of Apple here. What are your takeaways here about midway through this, this earning cycle here? I think it's very lumpy. We, we did see some less positive numbers from Amazon before when it looks like they, they had perhaps that excess inventory or they were suffering from supply chain issues. And then the very same week, we have this you know, canary in the coal mine from, from Walmart, much more, less of a perhaps discretionary, more of a staple type retail right. because it is lower end. And, and that, that they clearly are seeing a contraction in demand. They're seeing high inventories. Target is, is in a, almost a fire sale situation around its inventories. So that picture is so mixed. I think it's really a question of lumpiness. Some companies maybe took their lumps earlier and some are taking them now. And so I don't actually see that there's an overwhelmingly overwhelmingly clear picture coming out of that in terms of consumer demand. I think we can all say that the consumer, as I said, is stronger than they've been in the past in situations like this because of their low debt levels, but they are going to be reacting to um, to these, these pricing pressure, and they're going to be reacting to, to some of their COVID-led largesse coming off. But you still think you know, there's no other place to be, there's no alternative to U.S. stocks. Um, what do you see happening in, in bonds and fixed income after their horrible, terrible, no good first half. Yeah, exactly. Well, actually, that has, has been a bit of a turnaround, too. For, for years, bonds haven't looked like a great place to put money. They, despite their being in a bond in a bull, bond bull market, they have looked like very uninteresting um, from, from a return perspective, especially when that return is, is after inflation, so on a, a real basis. Now, because of the, the change in rates and a little bit of spread widening, not a great deal, we're actually seeing some reasonably compelling yields in investment grade and high yield. And even though after the high levels of inflation, they won't be particularly interesting on a real real basis, yep. they are a huge, hugely different from what they were in the past. So there is an alternative to equities, but I think ultimately you need to be invested across the board. You need to have broad-based diversified right. exposure, equities, bonds, and alternatives, and real estate like your previous slot suggested. Hmm. It, there, there really is no time to be right. too much in cash. A little bit of dry powder helps. All right, Ethan, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate getting your perspective. Ethan Devitt, Chief Investment Officer of Moneta Group, uh, giving us her thoughts on these markets. One of my best friends is here, Neil Grossman, uh, and just turned 65. So happy birthday to thank you, thank Neil you Grossman. I, I see that you got a gold box conjecture cake. What is that? Goldbach's conjecture is one of the oldest unproved mathematical um, theorems. It's something I've been actually working on myself for about 25 years, and there's a painting in our apartment. But the conjecture is relatively simple. Number theory is actually quite manageable and understandable. So Gold, Christian Goldbach in the late mid-1700s sent a letter to the most famous mathematician of his time, Leonard Euler, hypothesizing that every even number is the sum of two prime numbers. You can also flip that into one which says that every number is the average of two primes. But it's right, never right. been proved. <laughs> this is the kind of guy we're dealing with. Yes. I just wanted to set that up for you. So um, a physics degree, studied a little bit of cosmology under Stephen Hawking in Cambridge, and um, has advised, as I said, the Norwegian Central Bank. Now he runs TKNG Capital and um, discusses economics and policy with Fed officials. Let's talk about Jerome Powell's meeting on uh, and decision. Well, not just on Wednesday, but what the Fed has been up to, trying to catch up and 
trying to catch the curve, if you will, because they missed it so badly. Are they going to be able to do that without driving us into a to stop inflation without driving us into a deep, deep recession? I think they're going to struggle, but I don't even think he's trying to catch up. I mean, let's be clear of a few things. They spent, what, five years or seven years arguing that they needed to push inflation a little hot just to push up the average to 2%. Do you, you know, he's saying we want to get to a 2% right. level. Back down to 2%. But he, he's yeah. years behind. If he wants to get back to 2% averaging, they got to go to 1% for almost a decade. And what's interesting is we'll, we'll finish this year having averaged probably 65 to 7% for two years. If all you do is luck, get lucky enough to go immediately to 2% and stay there, 10 years in, in the future, you're still almost 20 to 25% or whatever, 20% plus away from what your original target was. They've set off distortions that will continue to propagate and compound for many years, but you don't hear anybody talking about unwinding the impact of what we what's right behind us which is really the problem no and they won't right well um, they're afraid of it that what, the, what's behind us is all the stimulus we had pandemic well the stimulus the stimulus and 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 and, 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 and seven and, and seven or eight percent annualized inflation for two years by the way it took volcker post volcker pardon me it was like 25 years before we reached an ambient state of steady state of two to two and a half percent inflation now it may not be the same this time but you should be a expecting that it's going to be a glide if they're lucky of a number of years to get even close to the two so let's talk number. about that then i mean as an investor you have to try and figure out what the fed's going to do not what they should do yeah. uh what do you think we're going to see in terms of a terminal rate do you think they're going to turn around and start cutting are we going to see a recession are we in one right now um, we're not in a recession right now, in my view. We, I think we were just talking about this. I think you've seen two negative quarters of real GDP, and I think we may see two more. But the difference between what we would feel as a recession in, in a real way and what you're seeing statistically is the fact that inflation is, is 9%, and real GDP is nominal-less inflation. Nominal GDP is very strong still 10%. relative to the last, well, it's not that high, but let's say Nine. it's five or six. It was that way last yeah. year. But relative to the last 20 years, that's still a very strong number. We're still at almost historical lows in, 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 in employment. I do think that you have a very, uh, you're, you're probably likely to have a disappointing number this month and maybe even next month in, in employment. But I don't think you're pushing up the unemployment rate all that far. But man, but, if you can't have 10% nominal GDP and uh, 4 or 5% unemployment after spending six trillion of fiscal and uh, doubling the balance sheet to eight trillion. What can what can you <laughs> goose gross with, right? Well, that's 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 the problem. We 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 are we you know again we we basically um, borrowed money to keep the things afloat. You know, on a on a year on year comparative basis, it's going to be very hard for a while for this economy to compare compare to what was the fiscal rainfall of of, of COVID relief. And so you, you have a natural problem built into the, into the GDP numbers on top of everything else. And, you know, look, as long as the balance sheet isn't being reduced, and I think this is one of the biggest things out there, um, if they really want to bring inflation down, that balance sheet should be going down already and not slowly. 
I think it's much more effective to deal with the balance sheet than interest. But than they rates. are reducing the balance sheet. You're just saying they the, just started, but it's too slow. Well, they're going to let it. They're not. They're not really selling very much. Okay. They, they're, they're letting, they're letting run off. runoff much, okay. much more. You think they need to be more? Aggressive? Well, still, it's still expanding actually. Right, in the last so. few weeks. Well, listen, we only have two and a half minutes here. What are you doing right now in the market? So, like, are you buying stocks after the drop that we've just seen? Great, great are you time. back in bonds? I was here with you a month and a half yeah. ago. I bought. Nice. I w- I've actually had a pretty good. I sold yesterday, oh. uh, and what I'm looking for, honestly, I'm 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 not worried about five percent up or down here. I think that either I, I was thinking we get to forty one fifty, maybe forty two hundred. I'm worried that we're going to hit the fall, and there's a lot of people getting excited, and all of a sudden we hit October, and and inflation still isn't dropping, and you are seeing slowdown. So what I'm beginning to do for myself is is to buy far out of the money protection and fairly good size. So in case we have, because it's not very expensive volatility, although it's a little high, it's come down a lot. In case we have a catastrophe, that's what I'm really worried about. Interest rates, one last thing. If I had to be, be, um, I'm a little short bonds now, but not very much. I think yield curve steepeners, or if you want to get technical, yield curve steepeners in forward space are where I think you should be doing because I just think there is so much risk Yield curve steepeners in forward space. Yes. <laughs> Is there a ticker for that? It gets complex <laughs> here. Well, 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 just to put a, a good word in for Bloomberg, one of the few systems you can easily use to figure it out is right in front of you. Bloomberg t- Technical Analytics is fabulous for this type of stuff. We like it when people put in a good yeah. word for Bloomberg. Yeah, which right? I will never use any of those things probably. Well, I'm, I'm this, like, I'm DES, I'm good. To, to I'm, me, <laughs> the Bloomberg <laughs> terminal is like a Ducati Panigale, you know, V4S. I love the bike. I bought the bike, and I can extract yeah. maybe five to six percent of its total. I don't potential. think I don't think you're even close. I think it's yeah. like sitting on top of a Saturn B5. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. All right, that's a better comparison. Neil Grossman, thank you so much for joining us here. Neil Grossman, uh, TKNG Capital in the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio, which is huge. You get us. Gold star for coming into the studio. And he brought us a bottle of wine And he brought us vineyard. a bottle of vino. Yeah, we'll pop that baby He soon. made this wine. Oh, he did? He made this wine at the Canoe Hill Vineyard. Oh, yep. very cool. It's getting right. a lot of recognition. That's like drinking a second growth Bordeaux. Really? I'm excited. All right, man. I don't know yep. what that is, but pop I'm excited to drink it. Pop that open this weekend yep. at it, uh, wherever you go out east. All right, Neil, thanks so much for joining us here. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.
All right, how about this? For a decade, Berlin commended moral and financial authority in the European Union, guiding policy and playing bad cop to the weaker southern economies. The energy crisis has upended that balance. Maria Tadeo joins us. She penned those words. She's a European reporter for uh, Bloomberg News, and she's doing some opinion stuff right now, which is good for us. Maria, thanks so much well, for— Well, it's not great for us. Why? Because she's— She's doing this stint with Bloomberg Opinion, which right. means she hasn't been on Bloomberg TV for like three weeks That's now. That's a good point. And we miss her. I know, but she gets to spread her wings a little bit and do some other stuff. Okay. She's so talented. Maria, thanks so much for, for taking the time to join us here. I love this piece about Germany. Give us a sense of Germany's position in Europe today because it does feel a little bit different because you know this energy crisis is really exposing their vulnerability. Yes, and the the idea essentially that came to mind for me to write this uh, piece, it was really the, the words of the Spanish uh, energy minister who came out uh, with a lot of bravado saying, you know, Spain did its homework with managed economy in a way that is more sustainable, and it, its words are really echoed the way that the Germans used to talk about the Southern Europeans to say you went on this debt kind of spiral and you did not manage your finances sustainable and now well we have to come to your rescue so essentially what you see now it's the opposite and the european commission they get it the european countries are going to have to lower their energy consumption it's going to be supply but also demand and what they argue is that everyone has to cut it down by 15 percent the spanish the portuguese the greeks all of them said that's not going to work. We're not going to accept one target for all. What I would say, however, and that's also in my piece, is that I don't think this is a return to the old tensions between the, the North and the South. I don't think they won that. A lot of those dynamics ended after the pandemic, the joint vaccination and all of that. But I do think that this is the end of Germany always being right. Mm. Germany always being the country that at the table kind of says, listen to me, I know what's best for you. Clearly now, it's obvious that Germany was blind to its own fault yeah. for a very long time, and everyone else now sees it. Well, either blind or willingly. I mean, um, we were talking to somebody, I think, yesterday about why Germany allowed itself to be so dependent on Russian natural gas. And he said, you know where uh, former German Chancellor Gerhard Schroeder is working these days? <laughs> He's on the board at Gazprom yeah. and he's hanging out at Vladimir Putin's palace. Um, you have to wonder, and yesterday I was talking to my dad actually about this. Uh, how is history going to judge Angela Merkel? You know, when Maria, you and I were at the G20 together in, um, in Hamburg, she got a standing ovation and was considered kind of the leader of the free world at the time. Now it looks like she was in Putin's pocket. Yeah, and, and you remember, Matt, uh, last year in Berlin at the election, you and I were at times critical. You know, we said uh, for all of this, Angela Merkel is a woman that kept Europe together. There's a lot of issues underneath that have not been very nice. You know, Angela Merkel had this fundamental view that politics and trade, security and defense, all of this could be run separately. It was a huge mistake. You can't separate the politics from the trade and your security. They're very connected. We also talked about the fact that she was someone who at times appeased some of her rivals, and, and not just at home, but also outside. Russia, Hungary, she always had this idea that, okay, they're bad guys, but it's better to keep them engaged 
then push them in the corner. She was never very forceful. That also became an issue. You know, Vladimir Putin could see it. The, the Germans were not really going to go rough on them. And then, of course, the Nord Stream 2. I mean, you remember up until a few months ago, the Germans still were not willing to say, yes, we're going to ditch it if the Russians invade Ukraine. I think that gave Vladimir Putin a sense that, Listen, mm. Germany's not going to go all out to help the Ukrainians. So uh, that, that that really was something that they that they had in in, in their minds before they they invaded Ukraine. I think it's been a major wake up call for the Germans. I think it's a huge shock for them. I don't think they even realize the impact of this has or the damage that is done to the reputation. And frankly, Matt, I don't even think the Germans understand how big a crisis this is, but also just how badly they judged the entire thing for 15 years. Yep. I think it's a moment of soul searching for Germany, but I don't think they're ready to eat humble pie yet. By the way, and that's what creates crisis in Europe. By the way, this morning when I heard the French GDP numbers and they were better than um, had been anticipated. Yep. My first thought was, yeah, because they have those nuclear reactors running at full blast right, right now. Right, right. And Germany has decided, in its wisdom, to scrap nuclear power, and they're going to go through with that. They came out with GDP that was less than had been anticipated. And I wonder if we're going to see a divide along you know, nuclear lines now, Maria, where the French GDP continues to outperform uh, the French economy continues to outperform the German economy because the Germans are going to have to start rationing and shutting down factories um, come wintertime, and the French are going to be heating their homes with nuclear power. And, and listen, Matt, I also think it's, it, the, the way that you frame it is great because it also shows fundamentally that for 10 years, we all repeated and heard, and, and especially the Southern European countries, they were told, your economy has to be more like the Germans. Look at their industry. Look at all the things that they make. They're very good at that. But you realize that this is an economy that was built on very shaky grounds, because on the one hand, they got a major boost by using cheap Russian gas, and then they're exporting a lot to China. So look at the foundations of your industry and your economy. On the one hand, you have Russia, and the other, you have China. So for 10 years, it's an idea that we all heard repeatedly. I mean, everyone knows I'm Spanish. You have to be more like the Germans. Just Not like everyone Germany. knows you're try Spanish. To model, <laughs> well, try to model yourself after Germany. I think now it's pretty obvious for everyone that this is very shaky. And for a lot of the Southern European countries, by the way, they say, okay, we did have a credit bubble. We had a real estate bubble. But why is an energy bubble different or better than what yep. we did? Right. All right, Maria, that is great stuff. A great column out today. I recommend folks take a look at that. Uh, you can get that at Bloomberg.com slash opinion and also B-I-O-P-I-N go for all the opinion stuff. Maria today uh, covers Europe for uh, Bloomberg News, Bloomberg Television. Gracias. doing a stint uh, at Bloomberg Opinion. Some great stuff. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. 
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.